We are, we are in the middle of our series of finding our true worth. Uh, Pastor Mike did a great job last week. If, if you didn't hear it, amen. Make sure you get it. Sorry, but that, was, that was good. Ten of you that liked it, that was good. Um, you can make sure you, you can get those uh, on iTunes and you can go on the website if you missed it last week. I thought Mike did an absolutely fantastic job. Um, we're in the middle of, of, of finding what our true identity is, uh, finding what our ID is, and, uh, and, and knowing who we are really in, in Christ. And, and we've kind of looked at different traps that, that we can fall into. Mike talked about the guilt trap. We talked about the performance trap. We talked about the approval trap. And the question that I've posed to you over the last couple of weeks as we've been going through this series is the question of why are we so unhappy? I mean, if you ever notice that, 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 that sometimes people are just cranky, they're never happy with anything, always complaining about something, really never satisfied completely with life. Maybe if things are going our way, we're, 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 we're happy for a while. But have you ever wondered how people can, can live with themselves? Have you ever wondered how a, a person who is just so unhappy, how they how you live with a person like this, you, you don't live with them very well, do you? It's just not fun. And there's a dangerous trap that we can fall into when we're trying to find our worth or why we exist. And, and, and the trap we fall into, as we've discovered over the last couple of weeks, is we look for external things to try to fix the internal problem. And what we've understand is we all have a spiritual problem. Really, that's what it is. Government can't fix spiritual problems. Can I get an amen? amen? Education, better education, no matter how great it is, cannot fix spiritual problems. Can I get an amen? A better government or better jobs or all these things or lower gas prices cannot fix a spiritual problem. Can I get an amen? amen. Okay. You're with me this morning, 8.30 crowd. The only thing that we can look to to fix a spiritual problem is God. And what happens is in our lives, looking for approval, looking for our worth, we look for these external things. If, if I get into the right college, if, if I marry the right person, if I get the right job, if my, if my children turn out the right way, then I'll feel better about myself. And when these things don't turn out the way they should, then, then it turns back on me and I don't feel good about myself. So I struggle with my worth and my identity and thus it makes me unhappy until these things work themselves out or become better. And it's an endless wheel, it's an endless uh, trap that we fall into of trying to find our worth. And really when you look into our world today, we, we are barraged with images of, of self-image, of how you are supposed to look, what, what car you're supposed to drive, the right kind of clothes, and all these things. And, and we talked about that, the, that the, this, this worth that we're trying to find, that the self-help industry is so huge. $11 billion Americans spend each year on the self-help industry of looking better and feeling better and trying to fit all these little things are going to make you feel better about yourself but the problem is america has an identity crisis we are in an identity crisis we do not know who we are and if you missed any of the messages get them because we we're, we're, we're dealing with many specific topics of why we, we crash and we burn on these different issues. And I want to talk about one issue today that I believe is a huge one that we try to find our worth in that, that truly is a trap if we're not careful, and it's the, the trap of comparison. And, and the, the interesting thing about the trap of comparison, it can, it can come in many different forms. And basically what this is is we falsely believe that that through someone else's demise, I can actually feel better about myself. Now, none of us have ever done that before or felt that way before, right? You've never felt that way. No one, right? So, yeah, we, we, 
that, that's the comparison trap. Maybe uh, something, maybe, maybe this has happened to you. Uh, this actually happened to me. I can remember someone was, was driving really fast and, and kind of passed me and kind of cut me off a little bit on, on 104. And it wasn't Ruth Brooks that time, but it was somebody else. And they're driving really fast. And, and, and in my heart, I secretly just said, boy, wouldn't it be great if there was a trooper up ahead and, and got that person, wouldn't that just be neat? And about three miles down the road, sure enough, that person was pulled over. And I've got to admit, for a couple seconds, I was like, yes! And, and I just had this moment of insanity where I just wanted to slow down and stick my tongue out that person and go, nah, 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 nah. You know, you just, there's that, intrinsic thing where, where you just there's that comparison and 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 you you we we, we almost it, it's something that we 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 just like to do when when there's a demise of someone else that you want to get back at why do we feel that way well the reason is it comes from a sinful heart jealousy envy selfishness can can creep in so quickly in in our lives and 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 the problem with our lives is, is the default in our lives is really not ever to look out for the other person. The, the default in our life is, is always to take care of ourselves. And, and the problem is when I don't look good, when another person looks better than me, when someone is one up on me, I don't like that. What do, why do we feel that way? I'll tell you why. It comes from the trap of approval. It comes from the trap of performance. It comes from the trap of, of this, this wanting to be better than someone else. So when we compare ourselves with other people, it's a faulty attempt to try to feel better about ourselves. I feel better about myself at the demise of someone else. When I'm up on someone else. When I'm smarter than someone else. It's a futile attempt to feel better about, and, and about, about, better about ourselves. And it's a problem. It's a worth problem. And so the problem is we're always going to default to try to fix ourselves. We're all going to default to make myself look better. How can I look better in this situation? Have, have you ever gotten a conversation with someone like this? You're telling somebody about something that happened in your life or something about your children. And that person always turns that conversation around to themselves. Have you ever been in that conversation? You'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah, that happened to me. And oh, oh, yeah, my child. You know, you say, yeah, my child just got a goal in soccer, and I was so proud of them because they never scored before, and, and they got a goal. Oh, yeah, yeah, my child just got 18 goals the other day. Yeah, and, it, and, and they're the best soccer player in the whole world, and they've got 18 colleges looking at them, and they're probably going to play professional soccer. You know, then you're thinking, Goody goody gumdrops for you, okay? Thank you for changing the whole story around yourself. You ever been like, and what it is, it's the comparison trap. There's this worth of saying, oh, oh, wait a minute, let me add to this conversation because intrinsically I have a worth problem, and the way I feel better about myself is comparison. So I've got to be one up on you to make myself feel better. And so what happens is it's amazing how we try to compare our lives with others to make ourselves feel better and basically it's because of our sinful heart we compare ourselves to make ourselves feel better so when we see someone stumble we can say things like this well boy i saw that coming i thought that they had problems and i'm glad that i don't have those problems richard mcgee makes some great points here he says our perception of success and failure is often our primary basis for evaluating ourselves and others. Blaming others also helps us put a safe distance between their failure and our fragile self-worth. So here's a good indicator that if we're insecure about our worth is when we compare ourselves and we have to tell other people, this is my life, this is my children, this is, this is what I'm doing to one-up. And, and I like what Robert McGee says there because our perception of 
Success and failure is often our primary basis for evaluating ourselves and others. And blaming others helps us put a safe distance between their failures and our fragile self-worth. So here's the lie. I falsely feel better about myself at the expense of someone else's shortcomings. If that's the way I feel, then there's an issue with my worth. So how can we justify this type of thinking? Well, we base our righteousness or our worth on a list of rules that I keep. So we justify our actions by saying, I'm as hard on myself as I am of other people. I'm just trying to be competitive. We need to be one up on everyone else. We need to be successful. And so what we do is we compare ourselves with other people. And I'll tell you what, that comparison trap is deadly. Because if you're always comparing yourselves with other people, how do you know that there's always a person that's going to do it better? Can I get an amen? Yeah. Right? When you're, when, you're, when you're trying to be the best at, at something, there always is going to be somebody that knows more, that does a better, a better job at it. And when, I'm, when I take offense to that and I'm insecure with that, it's not a problem with the other person. It's a problem with me. It's a problem with my worth. It's revealing an insecurity in my life that I'm not trusting Christ with. And so what, peop, what we, we tend to do is, we, 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 I'm going to work hard, I'm going to work hard. I, I can't be, if I can't you know, be the best, I'm going to keep working harder, working harder, working harder. And so it's the comparison trap. And it reveals the insecurity of our self-worth. I love this passage of Scripture. I want you to turn with me to Philippians. If you've got your Bibles, you can look at your notes. They're up on the screens. Philippians 3, verses 2 through 11. And, and I, want, I want to show you the Apostle Paul and what he went through and comparing himself with other people before he knew the Lord. And, 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 and there was a, a trap here that people were falling into that it's by what I actually do, my religious actions that prove who I am in God, who I am in Christ. And Paul gives a warning to the Philippian church to watch out for people who are going to try to allow you to fall into the comparison trap, who are going to say to you, well, you need to do A, B, and C in order to be a Christian. And if you don't do these things, you, you can't really be counted worthy to follow Christ. It was a form of legalism by what I do and I don't do that proves my righteousness in Christ. And, 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 and Paul calls them mutilators of the, of the flesh. He actually calls them dogs. Watch out for those dogs, those mutilators of the flesh. They're going to come and try to tell you, you've got to do this and you've got to do that. And if you don't do it this way and you don't do it that way, then you can't be count worthy in Christ. So it became a comparison game. I've done this and look at me and look how wonderful I am, but you haven't done this, so you are subservient. You're not truly a follower of Christ or you're a second-class Christian. So look at Paul's warning here in Philippians chapter 3. We'll start with verse 2. He says, listen, watch out for those dogs. That's a nice illustration for people, right? He says, watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say that you must be circumcised in order to be what? To be saved. And he's saying, watch out for them. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers that, that literally mutilate the flesh. He says, for we are the circumcision who worship the Spirit of God and the glory of, of Jesus Christ and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more and he's given the list of the things he did before he was a Christian and how he was a, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, the, the religious of the religious. He says, listen, I have, if I'm gonna, anyone's going to have confidence, if anyone's going to brag about their religious duty and service, it's me. He goes, circumcised, circumcised on the eighth day, a people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as of the law, a Pharisee as to zeal, a persecutor of the church as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Whatever I gain, I had counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything 
as lost because of the surpassing worth of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord, for his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as what? Garbage, rubbish, in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him and having a righteousness that's not of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on what? On faith, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection that I might share in his sufferings and become like him in his death, that by any means possible I might attain the resurrection from the dead. So here's what Paul was up against. He was up against those who claimed by doing certain religious things they were better than others. They would say that your righteousness comes by doing certain things, that you have to be circumcised. These were these religious acts that you had to do to prove your Christianity. And Paul says those things, those outward external things do not prove what God is doing internally in your heart. Going to church will not make you righteous. Doing certain things will not make you righteous. Going to church, reading your Bible, we think, well, all these outward things are going to internally make me righteous. Those things are good. We need to learn But the problem is we can fall into those traps and we can use those things to prove our worth and we can compare them to other people by saying, look how much I've gone to church. Look how many times I've gone to Sunday school. So here's the trap. By doing certain things and by keeping a list, by not swearing or chewing or going with girls that do, I can compare myself with others and say, look how well I'm doing. So what we do is, We create our own standard of righteousness that I must follow in order to feel good about myself. And on top of that, I look down on others who don't follow this either. So what begins to happen is we base our righteousness on what we do or don't do. And so we feel good. We we tend to feel better about ourselves if I'm doing these certain religious things. And this is what Paul was warning the Philippians about don't let these mutilators of the flesh, these dogs come into the church and tell you that you've got to do these things in order to be righteous before the Lord. He goes, I did all those things. And not only did I do all those things, I was pretty good at it and I was pretty perfect at it. But you know what? I count all those things as lost in comparison to knowing Christ. So this is what Paul was challenged with. You've got these group of Christians that they were demanding the Gentiles that they should first become Jews and obey all the Old Testament laws in order to be saved. And this really set Paul off, particularly dealing with circumcision. Now, if you know anything about the Old Testament law, the Ten Commandments basically are, are just an outline of, of all 613 laws. If you broke one of them, you broke them all. And here is the problems. The Jews couldn't keep them all. No one could. So here was Paul's argument. Why should we demand that from the Gentiles and tell them that the law can save, that it's part of your salvation experience, when you couldn't keep it yourselves? And we've come to understand that the law could only point to our sin. And if we couldn't keep all the law, then we're instant failures. So there's no way we could keep it. And and if you could keep all the law, all 16, 13 laws, and you could keep them perfectly, then there was no need for Jesus to die on the cross. So Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, but actually came to fulfill it in all its demands that we couldn't do. So this is the conclusion that Paul came to. He's saying in his letter, "If, if, if you want to go down that road of righteousness and self righteousness, and this religious road of do's and don'ts, if, if you really want to go down that road, you're going to fail miserably in your walk with Christ. And so it was this meticulous thing at trying to keep the law. It was, it's saying that, uh, you know, basically what they were saying, we're taking it to today's vernacular, you know, I never missed church, I had perfect attendance in, in Sunday school. And, and, and Paul's saying, listen, I've looked back at all that stuff, and I realized that, All my efforts to be righteous were meaningless in comparison to knowing Christ. It was all meaningless. All meaningless. And so the righteousness that the law offered was incomplete. It had no power to save us from sin and God's judgment. So Paul tells 
tells them, listen, perfect righteousness does not come from doing more good than bad. Perfect righteousness is given as a gift and has nothing to do with me or my goodness, but has everything to do with Christ and his perfect life. So Paul, what he exclaims here, he says, I was delivered from that futile thinking through Christ. I understand, I was there with you, but I was delivered from that once I came into a relationship with Jesus Christ. So we need to ask ourselves, am I trying to gain my worth through what I do or don't do? Am I trying to gain my worth by comparing myself with others? We need to ask ourselves that question because Christians can be notorious in doing this. We can fall into the same trap of comparison and what I do and what I don't do. And Pastor Mike explained it so well last week. Then we're driven by guilt. And we're not driven by what Christ has done for us. We're not driven by his grace. We're not driven by his blood that was shed for us. We begin to get driven by our own desires and our own righteousness. And if that's the case, we'll be, we'll be failures for sure. So, so Paul knew that this didn't work and he called out those who were trying to, trying to force others to live by a false religious standard that they couldn't live up to. So the only way to overcome our self-righteousness is to understand the length at which Christ has gone through for us. So here's some questions that we need to answer in this comparison game, in this trap that we can fall into. Here's some questions that we need to answer. We need to answer this first question. Why is God so offended by our sin? We need to ask, ask her, why is God so offended by, by our comparison with others? Why is God offended when, when I look at someone else and I say, ooh, my life is better than their life. I'm living a more holy life than, than they are. Have you ever, have you ever read a, a devotional book or, or a book and, and, and you heard about that certain person that, that would pray 18 hours a day? You know, and they would fast for 80 days and you'd read that and you're like, man, am I even a Christian? And you'd feel guilty about that, about what they do and you didn't do. Guess what that is? It's the trap of what? Comparison. What's driving me to want to be more like Christ? What's driving me to want to read my Bible and to pray? Is it because I'm driven by guilt? Am I driven by this, this person that I read in a devotional book that, that, that prays a whole lot of hours every day and then I read that and I feel guilty about myself and then, and then I try to pray and I, and, I, and I do good one day and then I fail the next day and then I try to get into this devotional reading. And I know for some of you, we, we started off the year of, of, of reading through the, you know, I just challenge you, try to read through the New Testament in a month and I know some of you, you tried it and it lasted for about five days and you missed a couple days, you missed a couple days and then you're like, oh my gosh, I'm just a failure. I can't, I can't do this. And I try to challenge myself to read through the, the, the whole, once I did that, I go, I'm going to just keep reading. I want, I want to read through the, the, the Bible this year, the whole way through. And it's, sometimes, it's a challenge, I'll be honest with you. But sometimes when you miss a day, you feel guilty. It's like, man, I missed a day and I'm going to get behind. And then, then you're speed reading. You get to Leviticus and you're like, okay, I don't need to know any of this stuff. And you're speed reading through it all, you know. And it's like, wait a minute, you got to step back and say, why am I doing this? Am I doing it just to say I read through the Bible in a month or the New Testament in a month? Am I doing it just to say I read through the Bible in a year? Or am I doing it because I really want to know God and I want to know Christ? And I just want to, it's good to challenge yourself. It's good to challenge yourself to memorize scripture. It's good to be in the word every day. I will challenge you that all the time because it's a blessing to know God. But what is my motivation? Is my motivation to go to the guy next to me and say, hey, did, 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 did you get through the 30 days reading that pastor challenged us with? And I'm doing this Mike, Pastor Mike. Where's Pastor Mike? He, said, he mocked me last week for doing this, so I'm going to do it for Pastor Mike this week. Thank you. Oh, there's my... <laughs> he said not for me to do it anymore, but I'm going to do it anyways. Um, we look at the person next to us and say, hey, did you get through the 30 days of reading? I did. How'd you do? Didn't do so well? I, I did it. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to Facebook about it, and I'm going to tweet about it. I'm going to let everybody know. So how many likes I, I, I get on it. You know, it, is that the reason why I'm doing it? And that, that's the comparison trap that, that we can fall into because we find our worth. Ready? We find our worth in saying, look at what I did. 
read through the New Testament 30 days. Look what I did. I read through the whole entire Bible in a year or 10 months or 11 months or however long you did it. You know, even Jesus said, watch out for those that fast and pray. You know, and, and they allow the people to see themselves praying out loud and how wonderful they are, that, that they have to be seen by men when they fast. You know, they, 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 they put ash on themselves to make themselves look weak and tired. So people ask them, why are you so weak? Oh, I'm fasting for the Lord. <laughs> I'm on my seventh day. I just love Jesus so much. So much. You know, it's like... Jesus says, no, do just the opposite. Put oil on your face. Make yourself look like, no, I'm doing great. No, nothing's going on. It's great. And he says, don't allow these works to be seen by men. And what Jesus was pointing to is the motivation of our heart. What's the motivation? And see, that's the comparison trap that we can fall into. And see, the only way to overcome, and it's basically what is just self-righteousness. Look at your notes there. It says the only way to overcome our self-righteousness is to understand the great lengths that Christ went through for us. So, so, so why is God so offended by our sins? Well, here's the reason why. Why is God so offended by our self-righteousness? Why is God so offended by my effort to be holy? Why is God offended by my attempts to compare myself with others? The answer is simple. The answer is very simple. It's our futile attempt to be holy without God. That's all it is. This is the reason why God is so offended by my sin. He's so offended by my self-righteousness. He's offended by my efforts to be holy. The reason why he's offended by when I compare myself with others, it's my futile attempt to be holy without God. That's why he was so, that's why Christ was so upset with the Pharisees. They were trying to be righteous without God. We're going to set up all these laws and all these righteous acts, and we're going to show how holy we are. We're going to compare ourselves to other people to, to separate ourselves with, from them and to distance ourselves from them. You see, we need to understand that our sin is, is so wretched before the Lord. Anything I do apart from Christ is a stench in God's nostrils. Amen, Pastor Barden. Thank you. Okay, let's look at a scripture here. Isaiah 64, 6 and 7. Let's listen to what the prophet says here. He says, We've all become like one who is unclean, and all our, all our, underlined our, righteous deeds are like what? Polluted garments. We all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. There is no one, no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. So we need to understand that our sin or our self-righteousness deserves the wrath of God. We need to understand that there's, there's no offense so great that anyone can do to me that can ever compare with my sin of rebellion that was against Christ, which he completely forgave. Let me say that again. We need to understand there is no offense so great that anyone can do to me that can even compare with my sin of rebellion that was against Christ, that he completely forgave. So let's understand what we deserve. Well, what we deserve because of our sin and rebellion and self-righteousness is we deserve to be punished, we deserve death, and we deserve alienation from God. We deserve to be punished, we deserve death, and we deserve alienation from God. And you may think, what's the big deal? Why can't God overlook our sin and our self-righteousness? Why can't God look over our comparing ourselves with other people? You see, in order for God to be righteous and perfect in all his ways, he must punish those who do not meet his standard of holiness. Now, you may say, well, pastor, we might as well just give up then, right? Because I could never be perfect on my own. Absolutely, 100% correct. You're right. But the good news is, the good news is that's the whole gospel message, that someone was perfect who met the righteous demands of a holy God, and that was Jesus Christ. And I love 
the follow-up here, the, the, the wonderful message that Isaiah gives us in, in, in 700 years earlier prophesying about this Savior that would come to, to take on our sins upon himself. And it's found in Isaiah 53, 4 and 6. Listen to what the prophet says here about Jesus Christ. He says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, for our sins. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. And all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. And we've turned, every single one of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, has laid on him his one and only son, Jesus, the iniquities, the sins of all of us. So that's how God dealt with the sin of our comparison and our self-righteousness. He laid them on his one and only son. And so the only way to overcome this self-righteousness and comparing ourselves with others is to find our worth in Christ and to understand what he has done for us. And here's the good news that we see in the New Testament and John, in 1 John, he just says this so well. In 1 John 4, 9, 11, he says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only Son into the world, incarnate, Jesus Christ, so that we might live through him. In, in this love, not that we have loved God, but that he's loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to do what? Love one another. Now, I want you to notice something here. How did God deal with our sin and our rebellion? Well, I want you to notice that word propitiation. Basically, all propitiation means is that the wrath of someone who has been unjustly wrong has been satisfied. We deserve the wrath of God because of our unrighteousness. And here's how much God loves you and the lengths he went for us. He provided for us his son as the propitiation for our guilt. Christ provided everything for us through his work in, on the cross. That's why the cross is so powerful. Here's why the cross is so powerful and how it will diminish and take away your need to compare yourselves with other people or to try to find your worth through your self-righteousness or your self-righteous acts. When you come to the cross and you lay your life down at the cross, God will wipe away that need for you to compare yourselves with others. And when you feel that, 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 that stinky, ugly, fleshly monster come up, and, and, and you feel your need to add to the conversation because you want to make sure that your worth is there and, and, that, and that you want to one-up the other person or that person cuts you off in traffic and you hope they get a ticket. When that, when that need arises and that ugly green monster comes up, come right to the cross at that moment and say, Lord, I, I don't deserve to act this way at all. There's no offense in me. There's nothing that in me that should be offended that hasn't died. And how many know we got to keep crawling back to the cross and keep dying to ourselves? It's a daily chore, isn't it? It's not fun, is it? It's not fun dying to ourselves. It's not fun when jealousy arises in our hearts and envy arises in our hearts and we compare ourselves with others. It's, it's not fun when we've got to use comparison and how self-righteous I am to let other people know how wonderful I am and, and how much I love God. It's, 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 a, it's a futile attempt at worth that God despises, that God is not pleased with. And so we've got to come back to the cross. And here's why the cross is so powerful. All of God's wrath was poured out on his son. All the punishment that we deserved was poured out on Christ and he took our sin upon himself. So here's what, here, listen closely. When I compare myself with others, I lessen or completely diminish what Christ did for me on the cross. Are you understanding that? 
When I compare myself with others, I diminish and I lessen what Christ did for me on the cross. When I choose not to forgive and allow bitterness to rule my heart, I ignore the depth to which Christ went through to reach me. When I understand Christ's death, I do not stoop to cheap substitutes to make me feel better, to find my worth. Listen, every single one of us in this place have insecurities in our lives that we're insecure about. I don't care who you are. Can I get an amen? If we're honest with ourselves, we all have insecurities about our lives that we try to hide from other people because we're embarrassed. We're embarrassed if they were revealed, if some of our insecurities were revealed. We're, we're embarrassed that it would diminish who we are and our worth in Christ. Can you imagine if we could just get to a place in our relationship with Christ that we are so in tune with Jesus and what he did for us that we don't care what other people think anymore? In fact, wouldn't it be great to get to the point to where we actually embrace our insecurities? embrace our weaknesses and not allow them to be a hindrance in our life, but actually embrace them and say, you know what? I'm not that great in that area. In fact, I'm terrible in that area and I don't care. Jesus still loves me. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great to get to the point in your life where you just felt the loving arms of Christ wrapped around you even in your insecurities, even when you make a mistake, even when you, 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 you fail at times, and you can just go to the embracing love of Jesus Christ and his forgiveness and just say, Jesus, just forgive me. I'm not perfect. I've let some people down here and I need your help. Can you imagine if we got to that place with our walk with the Lord? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Wouldn't that be refreshing? Listen, some of you need to know here today, you are not loved by God by what you do. You are not loved by God anymore because you're sitting here in church on Sunday morning, which is a good thing. You should be here with other believers and fellowshipping one another. That's a good thing. We're, we're told to do that. But you're not loved by God anymore because you got up early and came to the 8.30 service. You're not loved anymore by God because you came to the 8.30 earlier than the people that will come to the 11 o'clock service. Because you got up earlier. You are not loved anymore by God because you did your devotions this morning, which is a good thing. Are you hearing me? You got to get this. Because we equate God's acceptance and his love by what we do. And you, listen, we can be Christians for 50 years and still fall into that trap of comparison. I hear it all the time with people that they feel like failures because they didn't do this and they didn't do that. And I said, do, are you equating God's love for you because you didn't do A, B, and C? Really? Is that where we're at? You are, you are loved not because of anything that you have done or have not done. You are loved because God chose to love you when you were unlovable. Amen. And guess, thank you, Ruth. Guess what? We're pretty unlovable at times aren't we? We're grumpy. We complain. Don't we? We're just unlovable at times. We're not. Some of us here are just not fun to live with at times. Don't say amen anybody at this time, especially if you're with your spouse. Just hold off, okay? Listen, God chose to love you when, when you were unlovable. That's grace. Simple definition of grace is this. It's getting what you don't deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. We don't deserve God's love. We don't deserve the righteousness of Christ. We don't deserve heaven. But God gives us these things as a gift because of his grace. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. God bestows his grace upon us simply based on his grace, period. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Every single one of us in this place deserve God's wrath. We deserve to be punished. 
But God, through his grace and his mercy, sent his one and only son to take the punishment for you and I. Oh, what a savior do we serve. That's the kind of love that you need to discover. And that will set you free from the burden of trying to compare yourself or being one up on on another person. That will set you free from the comparison trap. So you've got a couple choices here. Here's your choices. You can keep beating yourself up for your past. Okay. You can try to make up for your past by trying to be better. You can compare yourself with others and try to convince yourself that you're not that bad and deny your sin. Or you can fall on the mercy and grace. You can fall on the mercy and grace of Christ to save you and find freedom. The choice is completely up to you. What are you going to do? And I know how easy it is to fall into that comparison trap. I know how easy it is to fall in the trap of self-righteousness. I know how easy it is to feel guilty if I miss one devotion or if I don't, if, if I miss church for some reason and I feel guilt. I know how that guilt and, and, and that condemnation can flow into your heart by trying to access God's love by what we do or don't do. You are loved. Now, that doesn't mean we don't repent from our sins. That doesn't mean when we, when we willfully uh, rebel against God, that we don't come to him and ask him for forgiveness. But remember this, when your sins are forgiven, they are forgiven. As far as the east is from the west, so I've removed your transgressions from you. God doesn't bring it up again. It's, it's covered in the blood of Christ. Now move on in your relationship with the Lord and find your worth in Christ. See, then it becomes this relationship that you have with Jesus, not driven by what you do or don't do, not based on conditions. I'll love you if. It's based on unconditional love, which says, I love you regardless. Martin, I'm going to love you regardless of what you do tomorrow. Just know that. I'm, I'm going to love you even even when you're going to make a mistake three weeks from now. I'm going to love you regardless. My love is always going to be there for you. You see, I want my children to know that. My mom told me this really cool story about her dad. My granddad was awesome. He was just one of those granddads that was just the coolest granddad in the world. He would pick me up to school and just take me out to lunch, surprise me. He's one of those granddads that my grandparents would, would pick you up for lunch, say, where do you want to go to lunch today? I don't know, let's go to Waterloo. Let's go to Syracuse for dinner. And he would just drive to Syracuse. There's this great restaurant in Syracuse, and we drive to Syracuse. He took my cousin to the Adirondacks for lunch one day. <laughs> let's go to the Adirondacks. I want to eat in Old Forge. Drove him all the way to Old Forge. Just the coolest grandparents. Love Jesus, coolest grandparents. And, and my mom shared this story. It was so powerful. My mom was a teenager, and she was hurting one day, and she went in her room, she shut the door, and she was crying. And my grandfather came into the room and he said to my mom, he said, I want to let you know one thing. He says, I don't care what you did or what went on in your life. I want you to know one thing. I will always love you. And I'll always support you. My mom's like, well, Dad, what do you think I've done? He thought my mom was pregnant, I think. My mom wasn't but he thought she was. But he, before she even said a word, he said, I want you to know as your father, I love you regardless. And I'm going to stand with you. Boy, the love of the father looks down on us and says, Bard, I'm going to love you. Nothing can separate you from my love, which is in Christ Jesus. I know you're going to make mistakes, Barden. I know you're going to mess up. Come to me and lay those burdens, lay that sin at my feet and allow me to restore you. Stop hiding that thing. 
Stop comparing yourself by saying, well, you know, this thing isn't that bad. I'm better than this person. God says, stop doing that. I died to that sin of comparison through my son Jesus 2,000 years ago. Know how much I love you and what I've done for you. When you can understand the grace of God in that magnitude, it changes your relationship with him from ones of do's and don'ts to one of true love. Where now when I serve Jesus, I know that he loves me so much that I want to please him. I want to do good things for Jesus, right? Not because of the accolades or because I have to gain God's access or I have to gain more of God's love. I want to do good things because he loved me first. What a cool relationship. He loved me. He's not expecting me. I, I, his love isn't based on conditions. His love is unconditional. His love for me never changes. And so I can feel free to serve him in the covering of his love. And when I make mistakes, and we all make mistakes, and we're all going to make mistakes, and we're going to make mistakes, and we're going to keep making mistakes until we go to heaven, right? None of us are perfected. We're maturing, right? We're maturing. Thank God for his patience with every single one of us. Amen? Thank God for his patience. That's his grace. Why don't you discover that grace today? I want you to bow your hearts. We're going to go to, we're going to take communion, but I want to pray for you. Maybe you're here today. Let me just say communion's open to not, you don't have to be a member of our church to take communion, but you have to be a member of God's family. And if you're here today and you know your sins aren't forgiven and maybe you've fallen into those traps of comparison and maybe you need to confess your, these sins to the Lord, let me just say that when you confess your sins, Jesus is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you. And, and we want God to cleanse us today. And, and then we want to be able to, to, to be able to just worship him and thank him for what he's done for us. And we're going to celebrate communion and what Jesus Christ ha has done for us. But as your, your, your heads are bowed this morning, how many of you would just be so bold as to say, Pastor, there are times I've got to admit that I, I've been living my life in that comparison trap and that I've been trying to gain God's love by what I do or don't do. And I just need God's mercy and his grace on my life today. I just need that grace upon my life today. And I need to be, I need to find freedom in my life in this area because I, I really feel held captive by this. I feel like there's change, uh, chains that are attached to my heart maybe because of my past, maybe because I, I was told that I would never be good enough. Um, and I'm, I, it's a constant battle in my mind, to, uh, this comparison to try to gain God's love. And I know it's not good, and I know it's, 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 it's just belittled my worth in the Lord, and, and I don't feel that freedom today. And, and I want to know that today, and I want to know God's grace and his freedom today, and I want to reach out to Christ in that matter. How many would just be bold by the raised hand and say, Pastor, just pray for me. That's me today. Thank many of you, praise God. Many of you, many of you, many of you. Good, good, good. God sees it. God knows your heart more than anything else. So, Lord, we come before you. And as we, as we prepare ourselves to take communion today, forgive us of our futile attempts to try to gain access to your throne through my self-worth. Forgive us of that, God. Forgive us of when we compare ourselves with other people. Forgive us when we say we're no good. Forgive us of just our, our wrong attitudes, God. And may we fall on your grace and your mercy. None of us in this place deserve anything. But through your grace and mercy, you loved us first. And help us to develop that relationship that's a love relationship, not one driven by works, but one that's driven by our gratitude and a thankful heart for what you did for us, Christ. So I pray for healing for every heart as we call upon the name of Jesus Christ, that you would cleanse every heart as we call out to you, that before we even take communion, even the Apostle Paul said that we need to examine our hearts and our lives so we don't take it in an unworthy manner. We want to remember that it's through your body and through your blood that, that we find forgiveness and healing, dear Jesus, that it was a, a sacrifice of your very life that you took on the wrath of God upon that cross. So we recognize that, and every time we take this, we are to remember 
the wonderful work that you did for us. And there's no work in me that can ever compare to the work of the cross. So we die to ourselves today that we might live for Christ, that we might live unto him and be a servant that is grateful and thankful for everything you've done for us. So Lord, set us free today. Set us free from the chains of guilt and condemnation and comparison. Set us free from that today as we live our lives in the freedom of Jesus Christ. And we thank you for this. And your precious, precious, precious name. We ask these things. We ask these things. Thank you, Lord, for setting us free. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Amen. We, uh, I'm going to ask the ushers to come. Do we have that video that we're going to, do we have the, the video that we show back there? We, have the, we usually have a promo. Do we have the video that we're going to show? Amen. So what we're going to do is just watch the video. The ushers are going to begin to serve you. And uh, let's begin to prepare our hearts as we go into, into the worship of the Lord and the communion today. God bless you. Amen.
want to take a moment to thank you for who you are and what you've done for us. Lord, we hold in our hands symbolic emblems of what Christ did for us. The bread represents your body. You are the bread of life. We understand that your body was crushed for us. It was beaten. It was bruised. That nails were thrust into your hands and your feet. Thorned of A crown of thorns was was placed upon your head. Lord, we understand you did this for us. And we understand how precious your blood is. The Bible tells us that without the, forgiveness of, without the forgiveness of sin, there had to be blood shed. So, Lord, we knew that there had to be a sacrifice. So without the shedding of your blood, we could not find forgiveness of our sin. And for that, we're so thankful. So, Lord, we hold this bread in our hands today, and we say thank you. We thank, say thank you that you take all our insecurities upon yourself. All our failures you took upon yourself. And for that, we give our lives to you. Set us free, Lord. So we thank you for your body that was given for us. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. Let's partake of the bread together. Thank you, Lord. And Lord, we thank you for what this cup symbolizes your blood. Lord, we understand that we could never find forgiveness without your sacrifice, so that we're so grateful. We understand that your blood establishes a covenant, a new covenant with God the Father, that through your blood we can be in right relationship with God, that through your blood our sins are forgiven, that the wrath of God which should have been pointed and poured out on us was poured out on his own Son that you bore our sins upon that cross 2,000 years ago and that through your death, Lord, you took our penalty upon yourself and you appeased, you atoned for us. And you, God, you, 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 Jesus, you appeased God in his, his holiness and his righteousness that by our faith in Christ Jesus, we can now be righteous, that you impute now Christ's righteousness into our lives, that we can stand before a holy God and say, we are free we can say that we are forgiven. And we can say 
that we have the gift of eternal life and we can know that all our sins, every single one of them, are forgiven, not by our righteous acts, but by one righteous act upon the cross. We can be forgiven. So for that, we're thankful. And we ask these things in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen, amen, amen. Let's partake of the cup together. Amen. Let's stand together. And uh, let's just, as we go today, just, you know, when you're going throughout your week, once you be remindful of the cross and what Christ has done for you, when you see that comparison attitude coming up in your spirit, come back to the cross and remember what Christ did for you and allow your securities to be completely in him and your identity to be in the Lord. So God, we pray that you would go with us now, that by your grace, God, you would go with us. Thank you, Lord, for what you do for us each and every day. We love you, we thank you, and we praise you for your goodness today. May these words go deep within our spirit, God. May the words of, of what you've done for us, Lord, be our security. That there's nothing in this world, there's no works of righteousness that can ever compare to what you did for us, Jesus. So let's be remindful of your love and the work that you did for us on the cross every single day. In Jesus' wonderful name, we ask these things. Amen. Let's give the Lord thanks for his word today. Jesus is good. Amen. Amen. God bless every one of you. Go in God's grace. Amen. Have a wonderful day.